Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I was at the show last night, and it's um, the third time I've seen you perform, and it was awesome. I had an absolutely great time. I was, like, um, riding high. I glad you liked it, too. It was gorgeous. I loved hearing the new songs live. I'm glad you played a lot of them, because I like the new album a lot. So it was it was a great show. The last time I saw you was at Mile High here on the 360 tour. Right. And so I know to some, some people, this may not occur to them, but going from a stadium to an arena, there is a significant more amount of, you're a little closer to the audience. Yeah. So how do you adjust the show to compensate for that intimacy? We have, since the very beginning, we've always tried to find ways to create a connection and, and promote intimacy between the band and the audience. So in this instance, the first thought was to produce a stage that wasn't just at one end of the, the floor of the arena, that was actually the full length of the arena floor. So we basically, instead of just having a front of stage, which might be sort of 40 feet, we've got a 200-foot front of stage. So as we go around the different stage areas, um, you know, we're seeing, seeing people right up close and lots more people than normal get to see us in that sort of close quarters. And it's working great. And not only that, we have, as you saw last night, this amazing screen, which is a tool for taking imagery um, that we pre-prepared or actual live imagery of us performing. And that, again, reaches right up to the top of the, the highest levels of the seats in the, in the arena. So on the front, on that issue of intimacy and connection, we're really happy with how this show's turned out. We think it's probably our most intimate show ever. We felt that these songs were of such an intimate nature, going back to where we came from and, you know, very much documenting first journeys, you know, first loves, that to go indoors in this sort of a setting seemed to be the right thing to do for those songs well that album it struck me particularly really raw like it felt very personal like I was getting to know you in a way I had never gotten to know the members of the band before now I notice when people grow and they learn more things sometimes they become a, a little less in wonder of the world around them when you're creating new music how do you rediscover innocence and wonder when it sometimes it gets stripped away as you age and become jaded not necessarily with you but a lot of people that happens to them I think it's hard to get to the good stuff you know as you as you say progress and you learn more but I think I think rock and roll is is quite a narrow band of expression and for us to kind of try and redefine where we'd come from and where we came from had given us all the things that we have now and we, we started to see that we were kind of going how do we know that stuff back then you know when we look back on what the band had done so that was kind of the perspective that Bono brought to the writing and Bono and Edge to the writing yeah you know when, when you've made so many albums and you're looking forward all the time to present ideas about the future and you know the current malaise the human condition in the 21st century etc etc to plug into something that really you care about that really is on your heart is sometimes incredibly difficult and i think at this moment we just felt well what about going back and looking at dublin where we started out the, the things that formed us as people the things that formed the band and our music and and the values and the, the ideas that have sustained us over the many albums and many tours and once we made that decision, 
then it was all about a creative search for again those core things that that we could write about that had meaning to us you know because you can't do a kind of glossy rose tinted glasses look at the past and you know that immediately becomes sentimental and immediately becomes kind of really saccharine sweet so what we were doing with with the lyrics with bono had to do as the, as the principal writer was was really uncover some quite painful memories and some difficult times and try and be as honest as he possibly could with dealing with you know those years of uh, growing up in Dublin and i think what we've got is a very honest truthful collection of of memories and and songs based on those days i think that's why these these shows are having so much resonance you add the performance and then you you give it these visual elements and i think you've got something that gives our fans a real insight into what makes you two you two and because it's stuff that really means a lot to us it's also when we perform it you know it, it, there's more depth to it more emotional resonance just comes out and for us as well it's quite a cathartic experience you know being in the studio working on iris there were moments where it was really emotionally challenging just to be in the room as bono was trying out those lines and and trying them to sing them for the first time you know people were really moved and the same thing happens to 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 the band live you know some of those songs are so raw emotionally that it's uh, it's quite overwhelming sometimes it felt very genuine oh yeah, yeah. it's it's the real deal <laughs> it is that <laughs> it's, it's it's a beautiful album it really is um we had a mutual friend, Barry Fay, and there was a story that I heard that uh, about your first performance at the at the Rainbow Music Hall that I just had to ask you if you recalled this. Okay. Um, he often said how impressed he was with you right off the bat when you played. He obviously had you come back um, a couple months later and play again. Yeah. Um, but there's a story that he went right to the till and took four $50 bills out and handed one to each of you and said, go have a meal on him. <laughs> I wondered if there's any truth to that legend at all. It's so Barry. I'm sure it's absolutely true. I can't remember, but that it doesn't mean it wasn't, wasn't the case. It, it, it is true. I, I, I absolutely remember it. And it was, it was pretty stunning at the time. You know, that had not happened to us. But, uh, yeah, he was, he was very generous to us. Um, and he was later an investor in, in, in the Red Rocks film as well. Right. Um, that's a big deal to the music industry and music fans everywhere, especially for Coloradans because Red Rocks is so close to us, music lovers here in Colorado. Uh, if you were to have recreated the show on its 32nd anniversary a couple of days ago, you would have had exactly the inclement weather you had. <laughs> <laughs> Probably worse, actually. Right. It was, a, it was a crazy storm night. I wondered yeah. if you... If, if it occurred to you that maybe that inclement weather added more power to an already really powerful message. I think it did. And I remember the day so clearly because the show almost didn't happen. And if I'm being totally honest, the reason that we pushed so hard to make it happen was that we'd put a lot of investment into the film for Red Rocks. Personal money. We realized that rescheduling would mean that the film couldn't have happened. Uh, all the people were hired for the, those couple of days. And uh, we were keeping our fingers crossed right up to showtime that the, met, the, the weather might change because it was early on, it was really bad. We, we had great fortune that um, the rain stopped about an hour before we went on stage. And then there was this kind of cloud. It's the only time we've ever played inside a cloud. And the atmosphere it gave was absolutely phenomenal. It, it, uh, 
with millions and millions of dollars and, and smoke machines uh, from all over the world, you couldn't have recreated the atmosphere that we had that day. And the, the U2 fans that were there were the real diehards because they were, they'd come up early. They um, hadn't listened to the radio reports that if the weather didn't change, we were going to cancel the show. They were just determined to be there. So even though it was not a, a full house because a good percentage of the people were anticipating a cancellation, they made up for that in terms of their, their physical re- reaction and we just cut around them it was our cut around the empty seat so to speak and so we made sure that it looked good um, you guys embrace technology obviously in your show I, when I was at the show last night when there was the live the, the live song that was broadcasted out to all the Nearpat followers how do you choose what technology is going to work for you in a live show well the songs are always mm. the thing that informs every aspect of, of the show um we say jokingly, once you figure out your shoes, you know, the rest follows. But actually, the truth is the songs give us all the insights that we need. Because when you're performing a song that, you know, means that much to you, if something doesn't ring true in the production, be it the lighting or the, you know, the imagery on stage, on the screens, you know it, you, you sense it. And um, the technology, is, you know, always has to fit the songs. I like the use of that. I was trying to get my Periscope to work all night, and I, I didn't have the Wi-Fi password. Apparently. <laughs> well, in that case, that portion of the of the of the, the night is about sort of really including the the audience. So it's it's the moment in the show where it's left very it's purposely very open to spontaneity and you know a, a, a song arriving that we haven't played planned on playing and bringing people on stage and all that and it's it's always been a um, part of a U2 show but in it's particularly important to have that in the context of this show because parts of the show are so theatrical and sort of they are set pieces where you know we really are clearly doing something that's been prepared and thought about and, and produced whereas that part of the show is like whatever happens happens and right. They're a nice counterbalance to one another. A little spontaneity in there never hurts. Right? Yeah, of course. It's <laughs> rock and roll and it's live. You have to have that. Right. You started out for about five seconds as a cover band and then went on to make your own music. Is it surreal to know that there are so many bands that make a living off of covering only your music? <laughs> we actually had a, a, a Bono imitator yeah. on, on stage in L.A. It was a very funny moment. Bono was... Again, during this phase of the show, was walking down the ramp, and he, as he describes it, he looked around and saw himself in the audience, and he was like, "What am I doing there? I'm on stage." And he looked closer and realized it was a Bono impersonator. So, being Bono, the only thing he could do was bring him up on stage. Turned out, he not only was a Bono impersonator, he was a really good singer. So he ended up singing "Sweetest Thing" with us mm. and awesome. sang it really well. In fact, to be honest, he was singing parts of the song that we hadn't bothered to, to put in our arrangement, so he knew the song better than we did, which was really interesting. It's kind of amazing, that, as you say, that there are all these other U2s out there performing songs throughout the year, and, and quite often if we're trying to learn a U2 song, we'll go on a site where somebody else is kind of playing it and kind of figure out what they're doing and learn our chops from it. Is there a piece of advice that you were given whether it was a long time ago when you were just starting out or recently from someone that you're close to that is just really stuck in your heart? Well, the, I remember the very first piece of advice I was ever given was um, by a, a fellow that I bought a guitar from in Dublin when I was 15. My brother and I bought a guitar and an amp from a Mr. Eric Stone. And Eric was in a 
country band called the Drifting Cowboys. And Eric, his piece of advice was, he says, Edge, I uh, just give you a bit of advice. There's no money in rock. He says, no money in rock. But he says, if you and your lads get together a, a set of country songs, you can be working seven nights of the week on the bookings I have to turn down. <laughs> so, And Edge's father had some really good advice early on uh, for... for people that were singing for Bonnets. <laughs> is true. Which was, he said, focus on the vowels and the consonants will look after themselves. <laughs> That's yeah. true. And my dad uh, still is a singer in, you know, traditional form, like he's a tenor. And uh, so he had, uh, he had some very good bits of advice for Bon early on, <laughs> the singing technique. But, um, you know, uh, we're, we're a band that seeks advice from a wide group of, of friends and, and followers. And um, that's the one thing about us is we're absolutely interested in insights and ideas that can come from outside of, of the core. It's kind of kept us maybe more in touch than we would have been otherwise over the years. We'll, I mean, we'll ask the cleaning lady what she thinks of, of the guitar part or anybody that's around. <laughs> they, they get drafted in and quizzed. Well, you, you did an interview recently where I got a piece of advice from you that had never occurred to me, which made me feel like I needed to pay more attention to what was going on around me. It was, if you surround yourself with people that only agree with you, you never grow. Right. And I thought, oh my gosh, I need to surround myself with a few more people that challenge my ideas a little bit so that I can grow a little bit more. So thank you for that. Oh, well, I'll carry that for a while. You're very welcome. I'm and sure that came to me from someone else. <laughs> <laughs> well, just passing it on then. Yeah. Well, I'm getting like the note from Kenny. Okay. Yes, it has been. Okay. Thank you so much for You're taking the so time today. Welcome. This is like I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. So <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Lovely the time. to meet you, Sam, and, and thank you. It's a great interview. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.